Hello. Welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of January 21, 2013. This is episode 178, take two. I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today in studio, Robert Prevo, senior account director at Interval. And Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Yeah, this is take two because take one of 178 unfortunately had fatal technology error. <laughs> yes. So we could so we couldn't post it. We missed of a, a week. Of 178 episodes now, that has only happened twice. So, so we've really recorded good. 181 or 180 episodes. Yes, pretty close. Maybe there might even be another one in there that we decided. But if an not episode falls reason. in the forest and no one's around, does anybody hear it? <laughs> that is the question. So we'll try this again. I'm sure it'll be better this time. Plus, the podcast is going to be way better. That was really a lame one. <laughs> Trust us. Trust us. It was bad. All right. Uh, some updates before we get into some meaty topics. First, don't forget to follow our LinkedIn group, the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards group on LinkedIn. Yes. Self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you're not aware of that, we post the agenda ahead of time. Uh, we ask for feedback on the agenda, feedback on the actual podcast. We post the podcast there. It's a vibrant community <laughs> buzzing with conversation. <laughs> It is. That's a very, very colorful description. If you have anything you want to talk about, too, feel free to, uh, or that you would like to hear us talk about or um, get our take on, feel free to post it there. Or shout it out to us on Twitter at, at Interval Crew. Or pound A-H-M-B. Yeah, we follow that hashtag, too. Feel free to use that. Hashtag Humb. 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 All right. Uh, another update. Uh, Mission Conference, Minnesota Health Strategy Communications Network which we are vibrant members of. I'm going to use vibrant as often as I can. <laughs> They're having their winter conference Tuesday. Oh, no, wait. It's just a networking. Sorry. Is it a conference? What the hell is it? It is a conference. <laughs> but we are sponsoring. I'm looking at some really truncated notes, and our expert mission um, contact, Jackie, is not with us, so I'm filling in poorly. We are sponsoring the most important part of it, which is the happy hour networking event. So that is Tuesday, January 29 at 5.30 p.m. At, at Kieran's. Kieran's. Where's downtown. Kieran's? Downtown, right? Just down downtown, the street. From yeah. us. All Six, right. Sixth Street? Where Bellanote used to be? Or is that yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. So Block correct. E. You are correct. By the Target Center. Block E. I believe Central. it's the only open business in Block E. <laughs> Seriously. You can't miss it. Yeah, you're right. That and the, and the dueling piano bar. I was going to say, I think that place is still open. And a Jimmy, <laughs> and a Jimmy John's. Can't is there a Jimmy John's, John's in there? Is, did the Hard Rock close down? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it did. Yep. Wow. So for those that are not from here, we had, this is probably 10 years ago, a huge, huge city block that was completely gutted probably 20 years ago and stood vacant um, forever. And it was a big debate. You know, what are we going to do with this prime real estate? Because it's right in the heart of downtown, right by all of our entertainment area and our sports venues and all that. And they, they built, it's called Block E. That's the legal description. And they built this. The only thing I can call is like a vertical, like suburban mall. And they expected it to be a mid, their goal was to be a Midwest draw, literally for people to come around from the Midwest. Like people go to Chicago for Michigan Avenue or (laughs) St. Louis for the Arch. They wanted this to be a Midwest draw. So what did they put in it? An Applebee's, a Hooters, a movie theater, a CVS pharmacy, GameWorks. 
It was, yeah. A borders. And so, a borders, a borders book. Yeah. Hard Rock Cafe. So now the only things left are the, the businesses we mentioned because they failed utterly in their vision. So anyway, that's well, our town. It's so, it's so anti-downtown what it was. I mean, downtown is all these... It's cool nestled between two theaters, too, which is kind yeah. of ironic. Yeah, you know? like real theaters, right. Like, right. like go to Actual see. theaters, yeah, yeah, not like a production. movie theaters. Yeah. Right. Who's going to drive in even from the suburbs to see a movie downtown? Nobody. Well, and, pay for parking. And being, and, being a, a mall um, in the middle of downtown it actually ended up being a, a place for riffraff to hang out mm. and really was not a place where Hey, I like hanging out in that corner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, a little history about our city, our fair city. Yeah, it's gone now, so... Don't don't come visit it. Oh, Block E's still there. There's just nothing in it. You can come other visit than the empty Block E. All right. So two big topics today. The first is uh, we promised to continue to visit this from different angles, and that is the post I wrote pre-holiday called my Jerry Maguire memo to healthcare marketers, which essentially argues for moving away from mass advertising as this crutch that hospitals and health systems use. Um, you know, the, the predominant form of marketing still in our industry, mm-hmm. which is a shame given that it was the predominant form in, I like to say, 1972. While the rest of the world has moved on, we still seem to rely on it. Uh, we've covered a number of aspects of it, but the one I wanted to kind of cover today was, well, how do we move beyond it? So I think that's one of the biggest challenges people have because even if they believe this you know, soapbox issue that, hey, we need to move past pouring our money into mass advertising and and adopt new strategies and tools and techniques. They're not quite sure how to pull it off. Uh, And I think, you know, thinking about why this is still the predominant form is a good place to start this conversation. And then maybe try to think in terms of our clients who have to face the pressure to do this, uh, because I think that's a big part of it. But some of the reasons why are in the in the post, and I think we talked about them briefly before, but uh, you've got what? You've got leadership and physicians who don't understand marketing and look around and see other people doing billboards and TV spots and think, well, we should be doing that too, or mistakenly think that if we just broadcast how great we are, people will use us, which misses the point that most people aren't looking for your service, so they're not going to pay attention. Uh, what else? What other reasons do you think we see this as a predominant marketing tactic? Uh, well, you know, we've touched on this a bit in the past, but I think that healthcare marketing in general has a tendency to, I'm always, I always have to be careful when I say this because I don't want to be a, just a complete douchebag and be offensive to everybody, but it, um, <laughs> Chris's mic just took a spill. <laughs> You know, I don't think most people go to, you know, people, most people who want to get into marketing um, probably aren't thinking, hey, I want to, I'm going to be in healthcare marketing. You know, if, if you're going into marketing, it's probably for the excitement of it. And maybe you want to, you know, work for a large agency or work for Procter & Gamble or, you know, something, I want to say exciting, <laughs> not that healthcare marketing mm-hmm. can't be exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, you know, just, you know, at least in our experience, a lot of times people who end up working in healthcare marketing end up getting getting pulled over from other areas of the hospital, from other um, professions. They kind of end up there for one reason or another. That's not to say there aren't sophisticated marketers in healthcare who sure. enjoy it because we know they are. We worked with we work with a lot of them. Um, but I think when you end up with a you know a fair number of unsophisticated people who end up in those positions, you kind of default to making the decisions that seem like 
you know, this is what you do. This is what everyone does. This is what we should be doing. So it's what we're going to do. And that's billboards and newspaper and, right. you know, same old BS. And a lot of it does come down to, to influence too. If you look at hospitals, you know, obviously physicians, um, yeah. are driving so much of it. And most of the time those, those same physicians aren't savvy marketers by any means. So at the end of the day, you know, if they're the ones making some final decisions, it can be tough for a you know, marketing director to push through something that might be a little different approach when what the physician may want to see is, you know, mass advertising. So it's an up, it can be an uphill battle for some. Yeah. But I, and to piggyback, I mean, to combine that with the, the point just before that, I think that, you know, with a lack of certain lack of sophistication and also not even just a lack of sophistication, but a lack of resources for measuring the effectiveness right. of what you're doing. Um, those two things combined give you absolutely no clout or no tools to, to, to confront a physician or a leader and say, this is where we should be spending our money, not there. I mean, there, you, have, you have absolutely nothing to fall back on, even if you do believe that that's a waste right. of your resources. Yep. You kind of have this like um, vicious cycle of healthcare marketer who even many of them who want to move away from this but aren't sure how, getting pressure internally to do this stuff, working with external because so many agencies are still built on the model of mass. So they're getting reinforcement from that. It's the easy path. It's what's known. It's not going to get you in trouble. It's like that old <laughs> saying, like nobody gets fired for buying IBM, right? You're not going to get fired for doing what your your <laughs> leadership or physicians are demanding, even if you don't think it's right. So it's easy to see how, well, we'll just keep perpetrating this, but Let's talk a little bit about what about those marketers who want to move away from this? And we hear this all the time. So this lament, I mean, when I speak about this stuff or I encounter somebody who's read the book, it, it's so often preaching to the choir that the stuff that we're saying, and, and they're like, oh, you know, how can you come back and convince everybody else? Because if they could relieve the pressure internally, they might be able to move. But it's really difficult to do that. And, you know, I think it's, I'm, I'm listening to this book. I'm trying to get back into listening to audiobooks. So I'm going to step aside here and, and describe this because I think it's apropos of this discussion. It's a new book from Daniel Pink, who I love Daniel Pink. Yeah. Um, the last book I read from him was Drive, which is really good. He was at um, Shushman. Shushman a couple years yep, ago. Yeah, he was fantastic there. Yeah. There's a book before Drive that's even better. But uh, this one is called uh, To Sell as Human. And his point is everybody's a salesman these days and you need to learn how to basically move people. That's how he puts it. And it's just a little book review for you. The first like couple hours is kind of droning because he's trying to build this case and you, and you really just want to get to the meat. So literally today in my drive in, I got some really cool meat and it's talking about one of the three main ways that you can move other people. So not sell them, but influence them or move them to kind of take action the way you want. Uh, and it's it has to do with power, and his the point that he talks about in the research shows that the more power you have as an individual, the harder it is for you to empathize because the key is empathy. He calls it attunement. You want to be attuned to your to your audience, and if you hold some kind of power advantage, it's very difficult for you to do that. And power advantage can be anything. It can be education. It can be information, um, and. You know, he kind of talks about they run all these tests of people who are given a little bit of power, just like a little bit of information, and then they're put in a situation where they should show empathy and they don't, or they don't understand it from the other person's perspective. They use this really cool test. It's like you get somebody to say, draw an E on your forehead for me. 
and depending on how you draw the E shows immediately whether you're 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 thinking about other people or yourself. Because if you draw the E like how you would see it in your mind, that's backwards for everybody else. But if you draw it how other people would see it, then you're thinking about them first. It's like a simple test. So they run people through things and then use that test. But it makes me think of ourselves because we work with clients and we talk to people all the time who want to move this. And we get so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you, you know, it's so obvious, isn't it? Because we have the knowledge, we have the experience, we have that advantage of understanding this. But so many of our clients or their bosses, certainly, or their peers don't. So I think it's, I know for myself, it can be really hard to put myself in their shoes and go, okay, you're the marketer who wants to move this, mm-hmm. but how do you do it? Because, yeah, it's easy for me to step up and say, hey, you should be doing this, and this is smart, and why would you do any billboards? And, you know, it's so obvious, isn't it? But from their standpoint, how do they actually move this? So what advice can we give to those folks who really do want to make this change but are struggling to make it happen? I have some ideas, but... Well, I think, I think for one, you have to have an appetite for, for just giving it a try. I mean, I think as we look at some of the type of programs and campaigns that we, you know, we bring forward, um, it is different a lot of times. And at some point, you just need to you know, take a leap of faith and, and try to connect with your consumers in a way that's different. And I think that's good. I mean, in any you know, marketing effort, you want to have a mix of how you go to reach your audiences. And um, you know, we talk a lot about content marketing and and trying something like content marketing, if you haven't been doing it, um, it's it's a good thing to uh, you know to mix it up. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think even if you don't, even if if you have CRM, then you should have some of the you should have some of the tools you need to start measuring the results of your of your um, efforts. If you don't, uh, there are certainly other means to go about measuring some of your activities uh, i would say start to start to get into that measurement a little bit so that when people confront you with um ridiculous demands you actually have uh some tools at your disposal to talk about um the success or lack thereof of some of your efforts in the past yeah i think the measurement is is key i mean i think when you look at things that you can do you know online Mm -hmm. there are ways that you can measure it pretty effectively and affordably right and so starting to explore some of those opportunities is, is one way to, to get there, knowing that you know, implementing a, a full-on comprehensive CRM for a lot of folks is a big investment, and they're not quite there yet. So, well, there, There's a couple ways I think about this. I mean, as we've talked about this and worked with clients and, and who, have, who are trying to move things the right way, it's, we're talking about real change management here because you're, you're trying to utterly change how people think in the organization, how they behave, how they act in your world, which is marketing. And I was just trying to find this book that's, um, I can't even think of the guy's name, but there's there's a couple of good books on change management. But when you think about some of the traditional things you're supposed to do with change management, I think they apply here. So one is called the burning platform. So create that burning platform. Why are we doing this? Why is this so important? Why is it so essential? Uh, because if people don't get the why, they have a hard time buying into it. Uh, another one is communication, constant communication. And this, again, these are general change management principles, but apply here. Constantly communicating with physicians, with your leadership, with your staff. This is why this is important. This is how we're going to do it. You know, you can't just do it once and expect them to, to buy in if this is true change, which it is for 
95% of the organizations, right? Um, celebrate the small successes. So that's where the measurement part comes in, really saying, hey, look, here's an example of how we've rolled this out in a little way and how it worked and how we're going to build on that. Uh, so I think there's more to change management, but those are some some classic things. You've got to be really patient. Uh, but then I think there's also some, I don't know if you're going to find these in textbooks, but we've talked about these before. One is the idea of like creating a second front. So you literally, your first front in marketing and like we're talking about so often, mass campaigns, all of this stuff. Uh, and if you literally try to change that wholesale, yeah, really hard, yeah, right? And so you almost create like this second front where you can start building the right tools and strategies over here. You're still fighting that first front, which is the same old crap, basically. But you've got to do it to allow yourself time uh, to actually get something up and running. Because otherwise, you're not going to get that chance. And that can be hard to do. Um, well, and the, the difficult thing in this industry and in a lot of service industries is that, you know, marketing, marketing <clears throat> your marketing efforts are only part of the equation. You know, if, you, if the service still sucks, then right. anything you do is, you know. So a lot of, to really affect certain types of change, it's change on an organizational level and you know that can start with us as marketers but obviously that you know our power and influence in the organization kind of stops at other individuals if they're not going to get on board with uh some of our ideas there so right but if i mean if we're talking about the true experience that's even more true for sure but even in even how you you implement traditional marketing strategies you would think that the marketer should be able to just do what they think is best, but we know that's not the case. Right, right. It's definitely a, a baby steps approach. I mean, when you're talking significant change like that, I mean, it's it's starting small and, like you said, celebrating those successes and, you know, working toward uh, a bigger goal. You know, the other thing that I'm just going to throw this out here because um, many times we work with clients, this is such a significant change. They want to kind of run it up the flagpole. And, you know, they want to they educate other people, and understandably, and which I think is smart to do. Uh, but also, if we're talking about real change management, that can just completely delay or stymie what you're trying to do. And I wonder, and I'm not saying you should do this, I just want to throw it out there for discussion. Are you better off just, like, doing it without that? Just building something? Because in so many cases, content marketing, let's take that for an example, mm-hmm. you're doing that almost inevitably in some way. It's not like it's new to have a, a joint replacement, you know, or a joint pain seminar or offer content online. Basically what we're talking about is taking it to the next level, but you can start building that, I think, without necessarily roping in the entire leadership and saying, you know, what do you guys think? Should we do this or not? But basically just saying, hey, we're going to continue these strategies and start building it, you know, without that explicit approval or is that my is that too sly and sneaky and well yeah i think it depends on the the size of the initiative you know what what is it that you're doing if it's something small that you're you know not going to chastised for i guess if it ends up you know if I mean, it's going to vary depending on the organization and your relationships with leadership and you know what you feel you can do and what you can't do um how far you can push it comfortably so i don't know you know and i think too you know i think we see time and time again as healthcare marketers have getting beat down so much that they just 
feel they can't do anything without first making asking leadership. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if you're in the, if you're in that situation, I guess it, there's all and you and you're not looking for a new job, then you should probably <laughs> figure out a way to reinvigorate yourself or or you know find a way to take some risks or to to start standing up for what you believe in again because I don't know it's it's not helpful to the organization if if that's where you're at. Well, I think it does come back to communication as well because I think again, using that example of content marketing, a lot of it's already happening. And in some cases, you really don't have to create that much new content because you know a lot of organizations we see are doing a lot in the community, are doing a lot of educational campaigns that can be really uh, part of a content marketing campaign. But I think, I think you have to keep people in the loop you know, so people know what's going on. I think a, a marketing director is probably going to be pretty... The idea of just doing it and getting it going may make them a little squeamish because it's, you know, it's a little bit of a risk, but I think you can do that and communicate what it's about. Cause it's really a lot of what's already taking place. Yeah. You're just building a more explicit, yeah. you know, putting more higher structure and it. yeah, more structure though. I mean, I, I think of, um, the results only work environment, which is the idea of companies like we do it. And there are many companies that do it that basically take away the idea of time as a way to value employees. And so the, the essential part of it is, you know, you get the work done wherever, whenever you need to, but there are no limitations on that. So if you want to work from home, you want to work from the coffee shop, whatever, as long as the work gets done, right? So that initiated at Best Buy. And it initiated by a group in the HR department that said, if we take this to leadership and try to pitch this to them, it's going to die. So we're actually going to do it as a pilot to prove that it can work and it built and spread. And it was like, it was, it was integrated in Best Buy in a significant way before leadership even knew it was going on, which proved the point. We're still doing fine. We're still doing exactly what you want us to do, but we've created a better culture for work. So I do think that, that it's, I, I think Robert's right. It's risk. Um, and all of this, whenever you talk about change management, you can build whatever case you want. You can, you know, build, show the numbers of how ineffective mass advertising is. And, um, but so much of this is emotion. That's what stymies almost any change management stuff. It's the, it's the emotion that people have to the old way, to the risk of changing. What's that stupid book from like 15 years ago? Who moved my cheese? I don't think I ever read that, but that's <laughs> oh, the point of yeah, it, I've right? I've got that somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you've got to remember that's the case, even with this stuff. You know, it sounds like why why would a CEO care how you go out and market? But it's so much ego, so much emotion, so much tied to, well, I see my competitors doing this. We have to do it. And the fear of not. So you just got to keep all that in mind. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if that helps or not, but we empathize with you. We, we can draw the E the right way. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking a lowercase E. Oh, wow. That's really hard to do backwards. It'd be too bad. All right, I'll share more from that book if we um, if there's more worth sharing. So the next topic, the second topic is we've t- we've touched on this before, uh, kind of when it was first announced that this was coming, and that's the new Facebook search uh, service, I guess you would call it, expanded search. Uh, and we kind of played with what would this be and how would it work and. Uh, now I think we can kind of see because they just announced that this is coming. I don't think it's available yet. Is it? Uh, no. I'm not sure if it's actually live on the site. They did make some. There were some minor 
UI changes, so it might be active. I don't, but I don't think it is yet. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what I don't know what show it was, but we were talking. I think a I think it was ago. when Google Plus came out because we were talking a little bit about what it was more recently. It was probably a couple months ago when we talked about the Facebook search because I remember talking about if I searched for restaurants that Iowa State alumni age 45 right. like. How do I get results that go beyond my friends without? We talked about it within the privacy. context, partially at least within the context of Google Plus, because that's how we were. Compa- that's kind of what they were trying to do. They were trying to create a system where you know you're using Google to search, so you're logged in. Um, the plus thing is there so that they can start to gather your preferences, and since they're trying to build the social network into it, um, your search results were going to have some social component and be driven by that, so that you would you know when you saw your organic results, you would also and paid results, you would also see what your friends liked. Um, and that's, you know, remove, remove the, the Google part of it there and boil it down to just searching for something and results being based on what your friends like, or your network, I should say, it's not just your friends on Facebook in many cases, uh, what your network uh, likes. So that's what Facebook is trying to do here. What they are doing is building a search tool, um, that is powered by, uh, you know, the millions or billions of connections that are, that exist out there, um, yeah, so it's 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 interesting. To I mean, me, you, it's a little bit creepy. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the search function before, it obviously needed to be improved. Oh, it was yeah. awful. Yeah, and so they they've done something very different. You know, that's 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 interesting. I think the part that for me that I guess would make it less useful is you know, as I understand it, your your network has to like these things right. first of all. So right. I think we all know people who are really active on Facebook, right. and for those users, this could be a really useful tool, um, or for their friends, right? I mean, because I think you can tap into a lot of knowledge that way, or a lot of information, I should say. But for someone like myself, that you know, I'm a you know, I use Facebook, but I'm not liking my you know electrician or right. every restaurant that I've enjoyed, right. it's going to be less useful. Yeah. You know, in order for this to be truly successful, I think certain components of it are going to need to be automated. And that's where it, for me, becomes a little bit scary. Like for example, um, not too long ago, I signed up for the music service, audio.com, which kind of like Spotify, Pandora. It's, it's like all of those. They're all pretty similar. Um, and I linked it up with my Facebook account so that it would occasionally publish and keep track of the things that I like so that my friends or my network could see this kind of stuff I was listening to. Um, but one of the first things that like chose to publish to my wall was a rather questionable cover of like a 80s hair metal comp- um, compilation. And it had like a scantily clad woman in a, in a, you know, wearing, wearing hardly anything. Uh, well, that was a little redundant. Um, as a thumbnail with a list of the songs that it was that I was listening to and the songs are fine, but the artwork was rather questionable. And I saw that up there and I was like, Whoa, 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 time out. And I unlinked it and I was a little bit offended. You know, I'm like, I don't want that kind of crap going up on my wall. So I, but that's, that's, that's kind of how automation works. And I think that for this to be truly effective, there's going to effective, there's going to be need to be some level of automation. So whether it means that you're logging into, um, you know, target.com with your Facebook account or something. And then as you shop there, it's keeping track or whether it's integrated into Amazon. And as you shop there and like things, it's keeping track of that. Um, everybody is going to, and I'll go out on a limb and say this, everybody is going to run into that time when you kind of forgot that they were connected and you liked something or marked something that 
you know, you didn't intend for everybody else to see. And like, there's one rather funny example of a, of a guy who um, plused one something on, on Google Shopping because he thought it was funny. He ran across this 50-gallon drum of sexual lubricant of some right. sort. And he was like, this is hilarious. I'm, he was like, I like this. So he checked it. Well, then, sure enough, part in, like, that showed up on somebody else's um, search results just as they don't even know what they were searching for. But it was like, oh, your friend Jake likes this 50-gallon drum of sex lube. And he was, uh, and he, so he contacted his buddy. He's like, ah, oh, I see you liking this. And he's like, what the hell? So it's like, you know, but it's, just, it's a good example of you didn't know that was going to happen. Um, you did something just because you thought it was amusing and suddenly it shows up that way to your friends. And whether you don't experience that firsthand, you're going to hear horror stories from people who have. Um, and I don't know. I, I, my fear here is that Facebook, by, going, by taking it to this next level and you know, there's going to be a level beyond this, at some point, I don't know. I think they're kind of digging their own grave by trying to get too personal and build their model on but something that gets that. D- deep. I mean, don't you think, first of all, it is only limited to things you would already be able to see. So it's only within my circle of friends. <clears throat> I can't, I'm, it's not going to pull in results from somebody that I'm not friends with in Facebook. Yeah, but that's right. So that's one. These issues though. No, but two, yes, you can mistakenly say you like something, but whatever it's, this is pulling through is already that's already happened. So this isn't really causing that problem. It's just bringing it forward in a different way than, than you currently had. So in other words, if you make the mistake this guy did, that's the mistake of the guy or, or how he, he said he liked something. This tool is just going to be another way where that, that problem becomes apparent, right? I think it's going to be more of a problem that there's a great, a great article that we'll post that how many people do that enough not that they not that you know what i mean there's not going to be enough well, content to what to about pull the, forward my fear is what about the opposite of it i mean yeah this is now a database of things that people like but that there's no database of things that people dislike because you can't track <laughs> that you know that's what i want to yes. i want to know yes. so this is this is very limited point. there's very limited value in only knowing what people like i mean they're trying to go a little bit toward the yelp direction and i think again you go to yelp because you want to see reviews but at least with yelp you know if somebody dislikes it right that's what i mean yeah yeah so there's there's value there because you get both sides and it's people who have an interest and have been there and experienced it where what does a like mean on facebook well you know this is so funny you said that because i just yesterday there was a news story that you know there's all this the gun control it's not going on that political road right (laughs) But Obama released this 23 whatever, and some sheriff some in some podunk town was like, I'm not going to enforce any law that I don't think is constitutional, which just sounds asinine to me. It's like not his call, but whatever. But, but they were saying how instantly he was celebrated online with like 50,000 likes on Facebook. I'm like, well, you can't dislike it. Right. So that's a little misleading yeah. to your point. Right. So, well... So it's really interesting. This story kind of portrays how it's different than Google search and that Google search is things online. That's what your results are. And in this case, this isn't a thing online. This is basically a collection of opinions applied to your search. But to me, the value of it's got to be so limited. I mean, I'm not like a, I don't have that many friends, not enough that I would value, you know, three likes for some Mexican restaurant among right. my friends. Right. Or if I'm really interested in what a, a man, 45 years old from who went to Iowa state, 
you know, what kind of magazines they like to read. And I get like two, because there's only like how many guys in that <laughs> group and only one of them is like the magazine. How does that value to me? Unless you've got thousands of friends. Yeah. That's the power of Google is Google's guy. I mean, when you see something at the top, it's because thousands, if not millions of people have pushed it there right. by their behavior, right. uh, theoretically. But in this case, you're going you're gonna to really have to... I, I don't see how this is really helpful. I, I agree. I agree. But all yeah, right. we'll see. So the implications for healthcare marketing are likes of your Facebook page, yeah, somebody well, searching for... A doctor? If any or, of my friends, you know, what kind of yeah, pediatrician do they like? And, yeah, or if they like a particular clinic because of whatever, and they've marked it that way, and someone else I is searching see, for... If you so, had enough people who did it, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's almost like... Instead of like calling or asking all of my friends, who do you use for your pediatrician? I could theoretically quickly gather it together. Right. Assuming they've all actually reviewed or checked and it. And checked, or I whatever, like my pediatrician, which, which is, like I don't do it that for anything. No. And I but probably my opinion's not valid for wouldn't. Anything. Anyway, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, again, that comes down to, you know, like I don't know that I necessarily want my entire network to know when I take my son to the doctor because I think he has an ear infection because now they're all like, well, why are you, you know, if they just see that I'm at the doctor or whatever, but then don't post it on Facebook. What? Well, well, that's what I mean. But if I, oh. if I, if I, if I somehow I have to indicate that I did that to Facebook, right. I have to like the place or I have to in this new system for it to have value for right. what I just did. I have to take action in Facebook to make it. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that because whatever action I have to take, you know, indicates that I was at the doctor. And now people are like, well, why are you there? What's wrong? And now, <laughs> now I have to engage of this big freaking thing. I'm like, what's a goddamn ear infection, all right? Or it was, it was nothing. He doesn't even have an ear infection. The doctor said he's just crabby today. Um, but that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, I think for any of these search functions, I mean, simplicity is key, right? You know, you go to Google, you can get information. You can go to Yelp, you can get reviews. And I think this is a little complex we don't know that it has value and i i just think it's not exactly what i would call simple and i don't know that it's gonna be successful yeah i think yeah i think if they could if they could draw on the entirety of facebook right then you got something yep because then really that search is like wow i'm seeing 45 year old men age and and to even Maybe this is coming, but to say, here's what your friends think. Here's what the general Facebook population thinks based on your search. Well, that could be powerful because now you're probably going to get enough, depending on the search, right. at least the potential for enough. Right. But when I got, whatever, 300 friends, how is that? That's not quantitative enough. Right. I don't know. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Kind of um, tangential to healthcare marketing, but it's always good to keep up on these things. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else, you guys? Uh, nope, I don't have anything else today. No? All right, well, for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo, Robert Prevo, and Adam Meyer. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.